Hi, this is Pastor Wilson. Thank you for tuning into Renew Church OC. The exciting news is that we moved up the street to Brea's Curtis Theater, and we love it. We'd love for you to come to see the space in person. Our current series is Spiritual Resilience, where we walk through Ephesians chapter 6, learning how to put on the full armor of God in our daily lives. It's easy to forget that we're in a spiritual battle, but if we are blind to Satan's schemes, then we won't be able to fight back. I hope this series helps you see the battle and fight it with other believers. All right. Um, give me one second. Yeah, so it's good to see you this morning, Renew Church. Uh, good morning. Really excited to be able to be with you. You guys on both sides, too. Oh, thank you. I get the big guns. Oh. Pastor Wilson, thank you. Oh, my gosh, this is amazing. This is amazing. All right, so, hey, just so you know, this is my first time uh, preaching at the new facility with Renew Church. And so I know we can clap for that. We don't have to. We don't have to clap for that. Okay. But I'm really excited to be able to do this. Uh, you know, for the next five weeks... Uh, we'll be studying the theme of spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6. Um, I get the privilege of being able to speak for the next five weeks. We do an amazing job team teaching, uh, but they're giving me the opportunity to do that. Uh, Pastor Wilson will be on paternity leave, and so um, I get the privilege of being able to uh, share uh, God's word with you for the next five Sundays. Uh, I just want to share a little bit before we break up into groups like we normally do. The last time I did a series like this, five or six weeks, we focused on the Olivet Discourse. I don't know if you remember us doing that. Uh, and uh, it was something that was very, very uh, near and dear to me. And so uh, I had the privilege of being able to share and, and preach on that. It was very expositional, if you remember. We looked at every verse. It's very exegetical. We studied the details of the text. We got really nerdy. And that's kind of how I am. And so we're able to do that. It was very apologetical, meaning it was very defense-oriented. It was meant to encourage you in your faith and how to defend your faith and the veracity of God's word, Jesus being the ultimate prophet uh, and uh, his role as prophet being fulfilled. That was the Olivet Discourse. Why am I sharing this with you? Because this study is the complete opposite of that, okay? We are going to spend five weeks on the other side of the spectrum. This is not going to be expository messages. It'll be very topical. We're going to look at a lot of Bible passages. Not going to be exegetical and nerdy. It's going to be actually very practical. It's how you practice God's word in your everyday life. And it's not apologetical. It's applicational. We want to get this stuff out to you simply and so you can apply it to your life. So the purpose of what we're going to do is we're going to apply these biblical principles and live them out in our lives. Can I get an amen? Sounds amazing? Okay, so let's do this. Let's break up uh, renew, in renew fashion, and I'll give you an opening question, okay? Share a time when you knew that you were encountering a spiritual warfare or spiritual struggle, okay? What did you do, and how was it resolved? Can we get in our groups right now, and let's just share that with one another? Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Sounds good. I can tell we're having good conversations. This is good. If we could turn our attention back, thank you so much, you guys. I'm sure you have so much more to share on spiritual warfare, and please continue. I mean, after the service, 
there's just plenty of time to be able to share and do all that. Um, this morning, I want you to imagine this beautiful auditorium as a military boot camp. And I want to welcome you to boot camp this morning. Can we put that up? Now, I want you to imagine us being in a basic training boot camp facility. So for the next five weeks, I am not your pastor. I am your drill sergeant. Isn't that good? Yes, yes. You can't imagine me as a drill sergeant. I am not that way. Okay, but a nice one, okay? I'm not Pastor Dave. I'm Drill Sergeant Dave, okay? And if you know what a drill sergeant does in basic training, a drill sergeant's job is to shape civilians into soldiers. And that's exactly what we want to do for the next five Sundays. My purpose is to train the church to be an army. You know, the Bible gives us so many amazing metaphors for the church. We are the human body. And Kevin actually preached a couple weeks ago on us being the body. We are a holy temple. We are a faithful flock. We're a fruitful vineyard. We're a beautiful bride. The church is the universal priesthood of the believers. The church is a holy temple. It's an athletic team. We could go on and on and on. But today and for the next five Sundays... I want us to focus on the Bible depicting the church as a victorious army, seasoned, hardened, disciplined, as a strong army of Jesus Christ. And that is really what the Lord Jesus wants his church to be. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, if we can put that up, here God's word says, Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs, but rather desires to please his commanding officer. If we are Christians, if we are born again, if we are called by his name and regenerate, then we have been enlisted by Jesus Christ, our general, into his army. We are his soldiers. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so if that metaphor is true, and if we focus on that metaphor, what is God's purpose then in saving you and me? Well, the purpose is to build an exceedingly great army to bring him glory. What is the purpose then of this church service, of this time that we have together? Is it to entertain you? No. It is to equip you as a soldier in the army of Jesus Christ. So the focus of this mini-series is really the idea of the army of God. How to equip you to be hardened, seasoned, disciplined disciples who can stand firm and march forward victoriously in faith, obeying our commanding officer. And that's a tall order. It's a tall order for me, and it's a tall order for you in the next five weeks of boot camp. But that's exactly what we want to do. And I, as Drill Sergeant Dave, want to equip you for the spiritual warfare that's ahead. So let's look at three commands for a soldier. If you're taking notes, uh, highly organized in this way, three commands for a soldier. And we want, us to, we want to turn to our basic training manual, okay? So if you would turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. And let's look at it. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. I want us to look at three commands for a soldier this morning. Number one, I want us to realize that you are in a war zone. Realize that you are in a war zone. Paul, under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit, warns us, you are in a war, so focus on preparation. You know, one of my favorite movies, one of my top ten favorite movies of all time is The Matrix. Okay? How many of you, you've seen The Matrix before? Would you raise your hand? All right. I, I think all of you. Well, some of you haven't. Uh, what's wrong with you? Anyway, all of you should have your hands up. One of the best movies ever, okay? And I judge movies by how many times I can watch it over and over again. If I can't watch it but once, then it's not my favorite movie. But this movie I've seen countless times. And I believe it's the best movie Keanu Reeves has ever played in, okay? And I, I, I'm going to let you in a little bit. I used to hate Keanu Reeves, okay? But now I love him. He's one of my favorite actors. And it's not because of his range as an actor, right? Because he has the worst range. It's only one. <laughs> I remember the first time I saw him on Bill and, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. You guys remember that? Right? Where I watched him, and he was playing this lovable loser, Ted Logan. And I thought, I could buy that. But then on speed, he plays an FBI agent. Point Bla uh, Bra break, he plays an FBI agent. Then in uh, Graham, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, he plays an 18th century dude. And then, you know, in, uh, in, in a Shakespearean play, he plays, you know, this character. And it's all the same range. It's all Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. And so I felt like, wow, you know, he's, he's not that great of an actor, but now I love him. Because, and, and I'll share, I, I don't want to go into detail, but we could talk afterwards. Man, I love the guy because of what he does outside of his career and also just the movies that he's played in that's been so amazing. Um, you know, but The Matrix is really my favorite movie with Keanu Reeves. Do you remember the scene when Morpheus meets Neo for the first time? And this is what he says. I know that you've lived in this world and you've known that there's something not quite right with this world that you've seen and experienced. Do you remember that scene? And here Morpheus explains to Neo that the world he's experienced is a lie that's designed to blind him from the truth. And you know what the truth was? The truth that the human race was enslaved by AI, by robots, right? Something entirely unbelievable to a person who had always seen life a certain way. And here, Morpheus gives this reality check. It's become a meme today. Can we put it up? He asked, do you want to know the truth? And then he, he puts in hands a blue pill where he says, you're going to wake up and go back to believing everything's okay if you take this blue pill. But if you take the red pill, you'll see how far this rabbit trail really goes. And you know, that's so fitting, that meme or that idea. Because the problem is there are so many Christians who are blue-pilled today. They go about their lives in the matrix, and they think that the world is their playground. Their goal is to chase entertainment and amusement. They desire to have fun, and that's really uh, their main priority, to eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. You know, John Bunyan, in his famous book, The uh, Pilgrim's Progress, written hundreds of years ago, says this, they content themselves with living in a vanity fair wandering in empty pleasures until their lives are spent, and at the end, wondering at their wasted existence. That's exactly how some Christians are. They're blue-pilled today. Or they think that the world is their career center. Their goal is to be successful, uh, famous, and popular. 
Their desire is to make wealth, make money. They dream of a five-bedroom beach house, the newest Tesla, to jet set and travel around the world. And that is where they put all their eggs in. And in the end, the blindfold comes off, the blue pill wears off, and they're so deceived about what they've spent their life in. Or there's some Christians, they act like the world is their home. And their mindset is, this is the be-all, end-all. This is where I'm going to find ultimate fulfillment. And they don't realize that life is a vapor that is here today and gone tomorrow. In an instant, it's finished. This cannot be our home. This cannot be our ultimate fulfillment. Yet there's so many blue-pilled Christians who that's how they think and reason. You know, this morning, I want you to take the red pill. Amen? I want you to awaken from this deception. The truth is the world is not a playground. It's not a career center. It's not our ultimate home. This world is a war zone. This world is fallen. And that's where we reside, in a fallen world. And it's not how it was originally intended to be. God made this world good. But sin was the corrupting factor that destroyed the good. And now we live in a world that is very broken. And there is spiritual darkness controlling this fallen world in which we reside. And just like Morpheus, I can say, you've always known that there's something not quite right with this reality. With genocide and terrorism and slavery, crime and oppression and evil at every turn. And in our hearts, we can tell ourselves that we're a part product of evolution. And we believe in the survival of the fittest. Some people will say, not Christians, but some will say, But in our hearts, in our very heart of hearts, every human being, we feel that it just isn't right. The truth is, the world is a war zone. So we need to quit setting up playground equipment in this war zone. We need to stop focusing on office decor when we're in a war zone. We need to cease from finding fulfillment in this world that is a war zone. The only thing that we should be doing in a war zone is preparing for battle. Amen? The second point that we want to look at is know your enemy and his objective. Let's look in verse 12. This is our text. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. The Bible says that you are fighting a spiritual realm. The enemy is not the human being that persecutes you. It's not the human being who tries to uh, uh, set up some kind of ideology. That's flesh and blood. The Bible is clear to say that it's not human beings. But you know, people can be used and manipulated for evil purposes. There is a spiritual realm behind human beings, behind people. Our enemy is spiritual. And the Bible tells us that the devil is our chief enemy. We look at this passage and we see the schemes of the devil. Who is the devil? How did he become the devil? Well, as your drill sergeant, let me show you the origins of our enemy. Uh, In Ezekiel chapter 28, I'm going to begin reading in verse 12. This is the origin of the devil. And this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. Uh, Verse 14, you were anointed as the guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. Drop down to verse 15. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. I want to stop right there. The devil 
was once an angel. He was a guardian cherub. He was a created being. Not only was he an angel, he was the angel. The greatest of God's creation. The Bible says that he was the seal of perfection. All of God's creative energy went to designing this creature, this person. And he was perfect, the Bible says. He was the wisest, the most beautiful creature. He walked with the Lord, right, uh, in the very throne room of God. Verse 15, let's continue, until wickedness was found in you. What wickedness? Verse 17 says it. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor, so I threw you to the earth. The origin of this perfect angel becoming the devil was pride. It was arrogance. Conceit led to his rebellion. Let me continue and give you specifically what happened in Isaiah chapter 14. Let's look in verse 12. It says, How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations. Verse 13. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will enthrone. I will sit enthroned in the mount of the assembly. Verse 14, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Pride in its greatest degree. Insane hubris as he states five things. You see, pride motivates him to reject God. Pride deludes himself into thinking that he could be like God. Pride encourages him to grasp at godhood. To rebel. And you know what? That has always been Satan's MO. It has always been pride and deception. You know what's interesting? That the pride was his self deception. The Bible wants to make it it very clear to us that when he believed the lie about himself, he rebelled against God. And so then the Bible tells us in Revelation 12, I'm not going to go into it, but it says that he was able to influence and deceive a third of all of the angels that God had created to follow him and rebel against God. Now, I don't know how many a third of the angels would be, but I could imagine God created countless numbers of angels. So for a third to follow him uh, could number in the millions, right? And this is that immense network of fallen angels that we call demons that make up the spiritual world in verse 12 that we talk about today. Rulers. Authorities, powers, forces that are in the heavenly realms. This is referring to ranks and divisions of the dark spiritual forces that we call the enemy. Now again, my desire is not to share a lot about Satan and the devil and demons. Uh, And we are actually called not to uh, look any further than scripture. We're not to go to occult books or to uh, have an interest in those things because It is so uh, dangerous for us to do that. So I'm going to share as much as I can here in the pulpit looking at those passages. But can I share with you that the enemy, this vast network of powers and principalities, this vast network, their objective is to ensnare you. Verse 11, so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The word schemes has the idea of a hunter snare. My wife is in the audience, um, and she remembers when I, was, uh, when I was single, before I got married and I moved out to California, I stayed in a dump of, of, a, of, a, of an apartment complex. It was called the Beverly Hills uh, apartment complex. It was, it was not like Beverly Hills, okay? It was, 
We had mice and cockroaches and all that. But in that time that I lived there, I became an expert mouse hunter, okay? And I had to, right? I had to. So uh, I would buy all these, you know, different traps. And one trap is that, that old standard trap where you kind of flip it and you have a trigger and you set it out. And in the beginning, I would put cheese on that trap. I would put like a provolone piece of cheese, a yummy piece of cheese, right? And the, the mice were smart enough to knock that off the trigger and to eat it, right? And so I learned that you have to use peanut butter, okay? Peanut butter is an amazing food that is sticky enough where you could put a little on the trigger. You're not supposed to put a lot on the trigger, just a little, right, for that mouse to get a taste. And what happens is you set that trap, put that peanut butter on, and in the middle of the night, you're, right, when, when the mice get hungry, they, they scurry out, and they look, and they see that peanut butter. And, oh, it looks so good. Oh, it will satiate, satiate their hunger, right? So they come up, and they, and they nibble on it. Oh, it's so delicious, right? And they take bigger, bigger nibbles until, bam, right? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I planned this, okay? And all of a sudden, you have a dead mouse, right? And I have all these mice, right, that I was able to kill. But that's exactly the idea, that once the mouse thinks that they're comfortable, that this person brought out this food for him, and I'm all good, bam, it's destroyed, it's trapped. And so the enemy ensnares us by getting us to believe the lies. Jesus told us that the devil is the father of lies. He's the master uh, hunter. And he's masterful at creating this deception. So what are those deceptive schemes? Well, they're found in his names. Do you know scripture gives us many names for the devil? And I want you to notice these are schemes. One, we see, can we put it up, as Lucifer. Lucifer means the attractive one, right? The morning star, the most beautiful of God's creation. The devil tempts us with sins that are attractive to us, that are lustful to our eyes. The Bible says that the sins uh, are pleasurable for a season. The Bible says that we find pleasure in them. But in the end, it's like a hunter's trap. It's like that mouse trap. In the end, it leads to death. And Satan is so masterful at making things attractive that are very dangerous. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says Satan comes as an angel of light to deceive us. Another name for him is Satan, right, which means adversary. And his scheme, then, is to oppose us. The devil makes life very difficult for us by way of persecution. And many times when we encounter persecution and opposition, we believe the lie, I can't live the sanctified, victorious life. I can't live it. It's too hard. I can't do it. It's too difficult. And that's a trap of the devil. Another name for him is Beelzebub, which means actually Lord of the Flies. That the devil loves to pervert the beautiful things that God has given us. He distorts the perspective of good and evil. And even today we see it. Many have believed the lie that good is evil and evil is good. And what he gets us to do is to be deceived into thinking that the evil things we're doing are good. And he gets us to live on the filth and garbage of this world. Another name for him is Belial, which means worthless one. And isn't it true that the devil motivates us to spending all of our time and energy on worthless things? He deceives our priorities to waste our lives. Another one, number five, the devil means slanderer or accuser of God's people, of God's saints. The devil accuses us as Christians about our failures and our sins. His MO is to slander us before the Lord, right? We see it in the book of Job, that very thing that happened. 
And Christians become discouraged and uh, disillusioned with their identity and their responsibility in Christ. They believe the lie of these accusations and the slander. And many times they find themselves defeated. That's the devil's schemes. Not only that, he is the prince and the power of the air. The devil deceives us to worshiping this world system, greed and fame, uh, power and uh, undue significance. And we see in Matthew 4, 8, that the devil actually did that to the Son of God, that Jesus, where he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, I will give these all to you if you just acknowledge that I am the Lord over all these kingdoms. And of course, that was a lie. Jesus rebuked him for it because the devil... What he does is he tries to deceive us with things that aren't even true. He tempts us with things that he can never deliver on. And then lastly, the God of this world. The devil deceives us to make idols after the world's values and the world's image. To make gods we can follow after. And Christians have become idolaters in their practical lives because they blue-pilled the lies and and bought into their schemes. You see, the enemy's objective is to ensnare you. But not only that, the enemy's objective is also to destroy you. You know the devil's names uh, in Hebrew are Abaddon. In Greek, they are Apollyon. Do you know those names mean destroyer? In verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. The word struggle is really interesting. It has the idea of a Roman gladiatorial match where you are in a gladiator fight And this is a fight to the death. Two men enter, one man leaves. And you know that's so, so true. That our struggle with the enemy is a life and death uh, thing. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know, the enemy's goal is to devour and to destroy. His end game is to drag as many people to hell along with himself. You know, I thought about this as I was uh, preparing for uh, this thing in spiritual warfare. Do you know Satan knows that the end is coming? He knows. He's not disillusioned into thinking that he'll win. He knows that the lake of fire is reserved for him. So the enemy wants as many people damned to hell as possible. He wants as many of God's creation. God loves uh, human beings. He created them. He wants as many of them in hell along with them. That is Satan's mission here on this earth. That is his kingdom vision. We have a kingdom vision to see souls saved. You know, Satan has a kingdom vision too, to see all damned. And if you are a Christian, let me share this with you. It's such a beautiful thing. He cannot damn you to hell. Amen? If you are a Christian, he cannot damn you to hell. Romans 8 said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And no one can do that. So many times in my life, I've stopped and I've given an impromptu doxology to thank the Lord for my salvation. I think of it even now. Thank you, Jesus, that I get to spend eternity with you in heaven forever and forever because of Jesus' finished work on the cross. You see, Satan can't destroy your destiny. He cannot destroy your destination. So you know what Satan's goal is for you, Christian? Is to destroy your life from making any kind of difference in this war zone. His goal is to destroy your testimony, is to destroy your witness, is to destroy your desire for gospel evangelism. If he can destroy that, then he can immobilize the army of God who were, who were, who were called by his name to make disciples of all nations. Three commands for a soldier. 
realize that you're in a war zone. Number two, know your enemy and his objective. And number three, this is where I close, put on the armor of God. Put on the armor of God. Let's look in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. The Lord loves us so much that he provides for us in the midst of our warfare. Strong means empowering strength from the Lord. Mighty means vigor and stamina. Power means dynamic force to get the job done. Do you know as soldiers of Jesus Christ, God provides all the strength, all the vigor, all the stamina, and all the force to do his will to the fullest and to live out our lives victoriously. Amen? How? How can we be strong in the Lord? Verse 11 tells us. It says, put on the full armor of God. That means all of it, total and complete. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the shoes of peace. From the top of the head to the bottom of our feet, we are protected in the Lord's strength. How many of you, you enjoy paintballing before or have ever gone? Would you raise your hand? Okay, there's quite a few of you. Okay, maybe not as many as I thought, all right? Well, you know, I actually hate paintballing, okay? And it was because of that one experience I had. I took my leadership team. Uh, it was a church thing. And we decided, we'd never gone paintballing, but we saw the brochures. Everybody was happy and everything. And so we decided to go and do this. And, you know, I thought it would be so fun. We talked about it. They gave us, like, a mask, and they gave us, you know, the, these paintball guns. And they put us on a team, and we were going to, like, fight another team. But the other team, they looked so different from us. They had helmets on and breastplates. They had gloves, right? Their guns didn't look like our guns, right? Like, we have muskets, and they have, like, automatic. So anyway, I'm like, what is going on, right? But they're like, no, you, you, team, you two teams have to fight. Come to find out these are veteran paintballers, right? And so I remember that first time. I remember when we started playing, I just saw all these. You know, and we were in an urban setting. So, you know, it was all these, like, you know, walls and buildings and everything. And we were, we were supposed to capture the flag or something like that. And I just remember when the whistle blew, just saw all these paintballs shooting. And I remember just hiding behind, like, the first kind of wall. And, and, and my other guys were hiding, too, and we were just scared, okay? Because, because <laughs> they're not like bullets. Bullets are invisible almost. You don't see But paintball, they're slow enough where you see them, but fast enough where you can't do anything about it, right? You're just going to get hit. And I just remember uh, just that whole day just being bombarded with paintballs, just being hit everywhere. And it was, I just wanted to give up. This is the worst game ever, right? And so I remember uh, when, when we were all done, all of us were comparing our bruises and our welts. I had welts on my hand. That's why they wear gloves. I'm like, why do they wear gloves? That's why they wear gloves. And I, you know, I had like all these welts and bruises all over me. And I thought, I will never do this again, right? But you know what I, I, I got from this, from paintballing? And by the way, if you love to do it, you know, more power to you. I, I'm not saying that. But, but I just realized, oh, my gosh, you know, I didn't have complete armor. I didn't have weapons. If I ever get caught into doing this, I'm going to get the best stuff possible so that I won't experience vulnerability and pain. And you know what? There are a lot of Christians who live their life as spiritual streakers. You guys know what a streaker is, right? Where that's what they do. They come to a paintball war. They don't wear anything, okay? Like, hey, I'm, I'm ready to go. And they don't wear the divine armor that's provided for them. Instead, they try to live the Christian life in their own strength. And you know what? They find pain. They become very vulnerable, and they become defeated, all because they won't put on what God has given them. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power.
I want you to notice it's a command. It's an aorist imperative. It's not a wish, okay? Uh, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is not saying, I wish you would do this. It's not a hope, like, eh, I hope that you would put on the armor. It's not a suggestion. Hey, guys, if you would, I suggest you put on the armor. No, it's a direct order from General Jesus to put it all on, okay? Put on the full armor of God. Uh, Verse 10 says, finally. That means from now on, put it all on. You need the entire package. This means that you can't put some on and leave others off, right? You can't say, well, I, I like the belt of truth. I think it's really nice accessory. But, man, the breastplate of righteousness, oh, that's just too constricting for me, right? Or I love shoes. You know I love shoes. I'll wear the shoes of peace. But the shield of faith, come on, that's a little clunky. It's a little heavy for my taste, right? Do you know if you don't put on the whole armor of God, Satan will attack you where you lack? That's something I learned from paintball, right? I didn't have gloves on, that's where I got hit. I didn't have a breastplate on, that's where I got hit, right? Satan will attack you where you lack. Put it all on. Verse 10, finally, from now on, put it all on and leave it on. The Bible says that we live in a war zone. When you're in a war zone, you always leave your armor on. It's too dangerous to take it off. There are a lot of Christians who live their lives as spiritual strippers, okay? I'm sorry for being so irreverent, okay? Don't picture these things, all right? Spiritual streakers, spiritual strippers, where they'll come to church, they'll come to Bible study, they'll come to Christian activities representing their armor. Look at me, I got my armor on. You got your armor on, right? And we all are so happy wearing our armor. But you know, it's the exact opposite. When we go to school, when we go to work, when we're at a party, when we're on a date, when we're around our professors, when we're in counseling sessions, many times when we're in the world, we strip off the armor that God tells us to put all on and to leave on. And you wonder why you're so discouraged and you're so defeated in your life. You know, God loves us enough to give us the armor that will make a difference in the war zone in which we live. The next messages that we're going to do is we're going to learn. It's a very practical series. We're going to learn what each piece of the armor is all about and how to practically use it in our lives. And my desire is for you to practice it every day, for you to put it on and leave it on in the things that you do so that you may be victorious. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that many times your word can cut, your word can... um, can uh, rebuke, but your word can also heal. And we pray, Lord, that you would make us into the army that you want us to be. And all God's soldiers said, amen, amen. amen. Thanks for listening. Since I have you here, I wanted to give you a few more resources and talk about how you can invest in our ministry. If you look at the description section of this podcast, we have a website for the church and would love to have you come visit us when you're in town. We're in Brea, California. We also have tax-deductible giving at Renew, and we would love for you to invest in our church and our seminarians as we have people coming in to become future missionaries and pastors at Renew. We want to train up the next generation of pastors to reach their generation for the Lord. There's also a few more resources. At the very bottom, I do a podcast with Roy Kim, who's an MFT. It's called The Same Boat, 
where we talk about issues from English ministries at immigrant Chinese churches to relationships and being single. I hope that you would enjoy this podcast with us as a way to talk off the pulpit and into our daily lives. And lastly, Nina and I wrote a children's book series called To Be, helping kids integrate their faith with their occupation. And on that website, there's also the adulting journal. If you're in your 20s or 30s and you're going through transition in career, relationship, or just rethinking your spirituality, this is a great space for you to examine inward and find what God has written on your hearts and in your values. I hope that those resources uh, would connect with your heart and that you would connect with us. God bless.